Welcome to the Get Ready with Tony Stewart podcast. I'm pleased to be joined today by Laura Adams. In this episode, we'll be discussing Laura's new book, Money Smart Solopreneur and Her Financial Philosophy. Laura, welcome to Get Ready. Thank you for joining us today. Tony, thanks so much. I am really happy to connect with you and be here on the show today. Well, I'm just so glad to have you. Uh, I'm a huge fan of your work. Um, before we get into it, um, I'm going to give our listeners a little bit of your background. Uh, Laura Adams is one of the nation's leading personal finance and small business authorities. As an award-winning author, media spokesperson, and host of the top-rated Money Girl podcast from 2008, which is really old in podcasting years, millions of readers, listeners, and loyal fans benefit from her practical advice. So Laura, can you please share a little bit more about yourself and um, a little bit of your story about how you got started in personal finance? Yes. And yeah, you, you hit it on the head. 2008 it is very old in podcasting years. And that is really kind of where the journey took off for me. I, you know, came from a family that didn't talk a whole lot about personal finance, um, but I was always interested in it as a kid. And I was always reading and kind of begging mom and dad for my own checking account and really wanting that own, to have my own uh, authority when it came to money. And, um, you know, I don't know, for whatever reason, it was just, it's always been an interest of mine. I never in my wildest dreams thought that it would be a career. So when I got out of school, um, I went to a, a small school in Tennessee, the University of the South, and majored in sciences, actually, and natural resources, and didn't really know what I was going to do. A part of me thought maybe I would go on and get a law degree and work in environmental law. Um, but I got out of school and started working and realized I didn't want to go back, <laughs> didn't want to go back to law school, didn't have as much interest in the law as, as I thought. And I was naturally gravitating toward financial positions. So everything from kind of low level accounting, accounts payable, accounts receivable, kind of just getting my hands into financial departments and accounting and thought I would be interested in becoming a CPA, but you know, realized that that really wasn't the direction that I wanted to go either. So really it was just general business and got involved in a variety of companies, um, you know, in different financial positions, and then also worked in more in operations and human resources, dealing with benefits and, and that kind of thing as well. And, and I became really interested in um, kind of the human part of it, the, the human side of business, and eventually decided to go back and get my MBA at Florida. And that's where I kind of really sort of put two and two together. And I was looking at my co my co-students, the cohorts in the program, they were all very successful people, but many of them were struggling with their own personal finances. And I thought, well, how can this be? There are people who are, you know, they're so smart. They've got multiple degrees. They're C-level executives and companies, and yet they're struggling with their personal finances. There was just a disconnect there that became very obvious to me in that program. And we only had one, one personal finance course in that entire MBA program. And that was also kind of a signal to me that this is an under, um, you know, valued topic. And, you know, not only had I not had any financial education in high school, college, or, you know, now this one class in graduate school, 
I knew, you know, I didn't know anybody that had really any formal education in personal finance. And so the literacy aspect of it kind of became obvious. It's like, well, if we're never learning about it, you know, how can we be expected to really master it and understand it? So after my program, I started blogging really about a variety of finance topics in an effort to help me just remember a lot of the finer points of the the education that I had. And a lot of it was corporate finance, but I got into a little personal finance too. And so this was back in 2007. And some of the questions and comments that I got were really geared more toward the personal finance side. And so I, I was getting questions from readers and started kind of trending more toward personal finance. And then eventually, as I got really into podcasts as a consumer, loved listening to a variety of them, I thought, you know, I'd like to do a podcast. I'd like to kind of give back to the community and let's let's try to do something in the in the finance realm. So that's how the podcasting took off and, and joining the Quick and Dirty Tips Network was key. They got bought out by a company called Macmillan Publishing, a very large publishing house. And so that led to some publishing opportunities. So it's kind of been just sort of one step after another. And I just made the commitment that I wasn't going to get licensed to, you know, sell securities or insurance. And I was really just going to focus on the educational aspect of of it and trying to help consumers as an advocate and an educator And that's really what I've been doing, you know, for the past 10 years or or more. And also working as a spokesperson, I work with select brands who are trying to get positive messages out to the broader, you know, the, the broader audience about things like insurance, you know, things like protecting yourself with different financial products. So, you know, if there's a company that approaches me that I feel like it's a good fit and I'm, you know, a, a fan of that company, um, I might help them as a spokesperson to spread the word if they've got a positive message. So that's it in a nutshell. Wow. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so much there, but I, I, I think the key takeaway is that, uh, well, there's a lot of key takeaways, but the key takeaway for me is the absence of financial education uh, in the education system. I, I, I think that's missing. Um, I know from my own background as a consultant is it's amazing what people don't know about personal finance. And that gap is still staggering. Um, you know, so I, I think uh, you hit on something that's well needed. Yeah, I think that, you know, the response has been, has been great. And it's, it's really been an audience of very, you know, a wide range of people, people who have very little experience, even up to folks who are even approaching retirement and are feeling unprepared or feeling uncertain. Um, So the audience has been broad. It's been kind of 50-50 male and female. A lot of people think because it's money girl that it's, you know, an audience mainly of women. It's really about 50-50. And, you know, I largely get ideas from the questions that come in from readers and listeners and also things like what's going on, trending topics, you know, trying to help people navigate complex issues. So whether it's a question or, or you know, some kind of news story and event, that's really what has guided the content that I've created. So hopefully, you know, it is addressing the questions that people have on their mind. Fantastic. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about um, 
what the money girl philosophy is? You know, I would say that for me, the philosophy really is giving people the education they need will empower them to make decisions. I'm, I'm never a fan of sort of gurus who like to tell people, do this, don't do that. You know, everybody's situation is so different. And I think if you can give people education, they can make decisions for themselves. Um, so that's really what I'm all about. Certainly there are guidelines and principles that, you know, most financial experts would agree on, but you know, the, the answer to most financial questions is it's a frustrating one. It's, it depends and it depends because everyone's situation is so different. So kind of going back to some fundamental principles, but yet tailoring that to your situation and your goals, you know, everyone's goals are different. Um, what is really, you know, surprising to one person, you know, might be very um, unexpected to another. So let's say if, um, you know, you've got one person that just really wants to be able to buy a large home, you know, if that's their goal in life, and that's what they want to do. Fantastic, make a plan to make it happen. For other people, buying a large home might seem frivolous, or something that they would would never consider. So everybody's objectives are different. And I think planning, uh, looking ahead, having a long-term view, um, really not going for um, individual stocks, trying to gamble in the market, you know, really taking kind of a middle of the road approach where you're being pretty conservative um, overall, but yet planning and making sure that the choices that you're making are centered around your values and what's important to you. So it all starts with a plan. Um, and hopefully people who are listening to the podcast will get some ideas because we're covering a, a real broad range of topics. One week, it might be retirement. Another week, it might be insurance. You know, it could be careers, negotiating another week. It's a, it's a pretty wide range. Um, so, you know, I think having a broader education can help more people. Um, so educating yourself. I mean, that's really the philosophy. Get the education to make decisions. As you said earlier, you don't know what you don't know. And, and so, you know, it's surprising the assumptions that people make. Also asking for help. I'm all about getting help. You know, I have an, an advisor. I use financial professionals. I don't do my own taxes. You know, I get help with a lot of areas of my personal finances because I value the opinion of others and experts. And if you think that you know it all, you think that you can do it yourself. Well, you know, maybe you can, but for a lot of people, they really do need guidance. Uh, so I, I think it's always wise to ask for help. Whether you take the advice or not is up to you. Um, but getting that input from professionals usually is pretty enlightening. Definitely. Well, you, you know, it's funny. I was just talking to my teenage son this morning about a slightly related topic. And I go, you can tell uh, the best leaders because they're the ones who surround themselves with other smart people and they rely on other people's opinions uh, to reinforce their opinions. They're not scared of another expert uh, being on board with them and talking to them about that. And that's so great to you know, hear that philosophy in practice. Uh, you know, of course, and knowledge is power. That's that's exactly where I'm coming from as well, is that I feel people need um, 
the education. And then if they're educated, they can make their own decisions. Uh, you know, we can talk to them and guide them. But at the end of the day, people make up their own minds and go their own way. So, yeah, I love it. So um, let's talk about your new book a little bit. Um, what is your new book, uh, Money Smart Solopreneur, about? Yeah, I've got a copy right here. Um, been, it's been close right. to my, near and dear to my heart now for the past years. I've been writing it. And it came out on September 22nd. And it is all about how to start or maintain or grow a small business. And, and when we say solopreneur, a lot of people have heard of that term, but they're surprised that there are so many solopreneur businesses in the United States. There are about 30 million small businesses. 85% of them have no employees. So 85% of the small businesses that exist are solopreneurs, one person owning it. Now, that doesn't mean they don't use help. They may use freelancers, independent contractors. They may lean on other small business owners for help getting the work done, but they don't have W-2 employees. Uh, so when I found out that statistic, it was pretty shocking to me. I had no idea there were that many solopreneurs. And I get a lot of questions from people who want to begin business, either a side hustle in addition to the day job, or they want to do something uh, part-time, maybe even incorporate their children into a business idea. Um, there are a lot of reasons why people are looking for uh, that extra income right now and the experience of, of being a business owner. So I get a lot of questions related to that. And I thought, you know, I just need to kind of compile a, a lot of this information into one book and um, use it to, you know, really help people who are just getting started. And I think it's also a good, I've had people say, yeah, I've already got a small business or I'm already a solopreneur, but your book reminded me that I need to be looking at, you know, this or that or insurance, or, you know, I'm, I'm kind of weak in this area. Or maybe my productivity could be a little bit stronger, you know, in this area. So it's uh, tackles not only the things like what uh, what type of entity might be best for you, um, but things like how do you save for retirement as a small business owner? What are your options? A lot of people think, well, okay, I left the corporate world. Now, you know, I have no benefits. I'm just, you know, I'm just on my own. And the reality is it's pretty easy to create a benefits package for yourself as a business owner. You just have to uh, kind of think it through and understand what are the different components that uh, are going to work for you. And yes, health insurance is definitely a challenge uh, for small business owners, um, but we kind of walk through that step by step in the book to give individuals and families options on how to deal with health insurance if they did leave a corporate job. So it covers a lot, you know, the tax obligations that you have, um, you know, tools for running a small business effectively. Um, it's pretty much an A to, to Z guide. Yeah, well, I, I got to tell you, as a solopreneur, uh, I, I think it's an amazing book. And it, it's something, as I've mentioned to you, I wish I'd had when I was starting out, but it's still, you know, it's reminded me of things like, yeah, that's probably something I need to take care of. Um, so I, it, it's a wonderful book. And uh, for our listeners, uh, that there'll be a link to the book uh, in the show notes. So I encourage you to 
go check it out. Um, at least take a look inside at it and uh, see if it's right for you. Um, so how do you feel that Money Smart Solopreneur helps promote financial literacy? You know, I do think that a lot of people who begin businesses don't really think through all the, the aspects. You know, they think, okay, well, I'm going to start this business. I'm going to make a lot of money. And one day I'll, I'll have enough to save for retirement. One day when the business is really going well, I'll do this or I'll do that. It kind of, they have a, a forward thinking attitude, which is wonderful for starting a business. But the reality is, if you're not taking care of your needs today, you're not starting small and starting today, you're really leaving yourself vulnerable. So I think that's a running theme throughout the book, that no matter what you know age or stage of your business, if you're not starting to take care of your personal finances right away, you really are going to come up with a gap. So starting small, getting your retirement account opened, even if you can only contribute a very small amount on a weekly or monthly basis, it's something. Uh, so I think the literacy component there, I hope the message that's coming through is, you know, just because you're a business owner, that doesn't give you a pass on, on providing for your future financial security. And hopefully the business will do great and you know, it will provide lots of income, um, but we don't always know that. And so we've got to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves uh, no matter what's happening with the business. And it's, if you can catch up and contribute more to the future later on, fantastic. Uh, but don't count on it. Don't bank on it. Make sure that you are still um, doing what you can. And for a lot of people that may mean keeping the day job, while you start a business on the side, you know, having that revenue coming in from the day job, having those benefits from the day job is security so that you can test ideas, you can get the business running and up to speed on the side, and that will make a much smoother transition and make sure that you've, you're protecting your personal finances and keeping you and, and anybody who's depending on you safe as well. Definitely. Well, it I just love that point. Um, I think that's so important to start out that you always have to take care of yourself. Um, I spent some time doing wilderness uh, first response and uh, whitewater rescue. And that's always the first lesson that's drilled into you as a first responder is you got to make sure that you're safe and that you're taking care of yourself, that you're no good uh, to anybody else in an emergency situation. If, you're not okay and your stuff isn't squared away uh that that's the only time where you can go out and start helping other people is when you've taken care of your own self and your own gear and I, i'm just so glad to hear you applying that uh in the financial context because it's such an important uh, lesson i mean you're on an airplane and they say put on your air mask first before you do anything else, because you're not going to help anybody else if you're not breathing. So you know, it's such an important point. Um, so as someone who's been in the financial literacy community for a while, um, how do you feel we can improve uh, financial literacy? Well, of course, I would certainly love to see more states requiring financial courses in high school, um, if we can, you know, get it into the curriculum, the earlier, the better too. Um, and making that standard in all states, that would be fantastic. 
Um, you know, certainly I think having it offered at the college level too, in more cases, I mean, I came from uh, a liberal, liberal arts background in undergrad. It was never, you know, never an option. Even if you took a business uh, direction, a, a business degree, there, there really was not an option there. So I think making it an option, more students are going to choose it, uh, I think, as they get older and realize the importance versus it having to be kind of forced on them um, in a high school curriculum. But, you know, making it fun, making it interesting for young students and older students um, is really the key. Put it, making it applicable to real life versus, you know, kind of high, you know, theories and, and ideals that they can't really apply to their own situation. Um, the more concrete the ideas and lessons, the better. So I think we have a long way to go with financial literacy um, and hopefully, you know, the lessons that people are, are learning from recessions and all of the downturns that we've had and the, the problems that we've seen, I hope that's going to help keep financial literacy top of mind and encourage more schools to adopt the curriculum. And even if it's on a voluntary basis, you know, that's, that's a start. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I was a finance major in college and we didn't learn anything about managing our own small personal finances, you know, how to interpret a mortgage. I mean, I remember we spent time learning how to run a bank uh, but you know, nothing about our own personal financial lives. Uh, so, I, yeah, that's such an important point is that it should be woven into uh, the curriculum. And uh, real life skills are so important. Uh, so what's your number one tip on being financially prepared? I think the number one tip I could give is being curious. Um, when you have questions, pursue those, ask the question, find out the answer. Many people wonder, well, gosh, you know, should I do this or should I do that? But they never really look for solutions. So I'd say just being curious is probably the best tip for literacy. Nobody knows all the answers um, and everybody you talk to may have a slightly different answer. So it really is being curious about getting the right answer for your situation. So following, following up with questions, finding the experts who can give answers, whether it's a podcast like yours, Tony, whether it's a book, whether it's, you know, having a conversation with somebody on the phone as an advisor, um, get the answers that you need. And so you can turn that curiosity into knowledge. That's great. I, I love that. Just be curious. Um, I think that's such valuable advice for consumers is that people are oftentimes intimidated and steamrolled uh, by financial advice and they're intimidated about asking questions. Uh, so I think that's such a fantastic point. Um, so to close out, um, where can people learn more about you? Well, my website is lauradadams.com. That's a great place to learn about books that I've written and also the podcast link is there. Um, so yeah, I would encourage folks to connect with me. Uh, check out the Money Girl podcast if they're looking for some weekly inspiration. It's uh, typically about 20 or 30 minutes. So pretty short, but it's pretty jam-packed with information. And uh, I love hearing from folks. So if you want to send me an email or a tweet, um, I'd love to connect. 
fantastic. And uh, for all of our listeners and viewers is um, all the links to Laura's books, website, and social media accounts will be on uh, the website. Um, so Laura, uh, thanks again for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Tony, thank you so much. It's been really nice to chat, talk about money. That's always fun. Definitely. Um, and for everybody out there, please remember to subscribe to the Get Ready with Tony Stewart podcast. Until next time.